Is it ever right to say, I told you so? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. So Josh, we get to keep going in Acts today. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, you you don't normally want to have a shipwreck of an episode, but that's precisely what's going to happen here. I'm already letting the listeners know. Well, I appreciate you letting them down gently, um, but uh, hopefully this episode... Uh, despite the fact that we are talking about a shipwreck, um, won't actually end up being one. But uh, you never know what's going to happen. So so we are talking about Acts 27 today. Um, this is a big, this is a big important chapter as it's the second last chapter of Acts. Uh, despite what you have, may have heard, there, there are not 29 chapters. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> As much as I as much as I love and appreciate uh, that network, um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we've got uh, we're looking here at Acts twenty seven. We are going to be focusing primarily on verses thirteen through forty four, and really even more intensely at twenty one through forty four. Um, but Josh, how about you set up some context for where we left off in twenty six? Right. As you, as you know, uh, we're seeing Paul come under Roman custody and it's actually to his benefit that it protects him from a lot of the, uh, the, the Jewish parties who have an interest in, in killing him. So we're seeing God's providence work in that way through the, uh, through the, through the Roman government, the tribunal to, uh, to keep him, to keep him safe. So now we're going to see Paul, um, travel, uh, to Rome by, by sea because, you know, it might be new to some of our listeners, but uh, they didn't have airplanes back then. So you had to always travel by sea, which was not always, a uh, you know, the uh, most guaranteed way to, uh, to be safe as it was, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this as a uh, treacherous and um, dramatic uh, turn of events. This, this, as you mentioned, is coming next is the next to last chapter in Acts. So it's near the end of Acts. So think of this as the action packed penultimate episode of, of the season right if you uh watch any tv dramas oftentimes the uh the penultimate episode has more action <laughs> than the uh the finale has more of the uh settling things into where the the show is going to go from there so that the, so you might have something like that in and 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 acts to use a use a crude uh modern day tv um analogy but uh, as, as I said, Paul's, Paul's in custody, and we find out here that it's, he's under the, in the custody of a satyrian named Julius, and he actually treats Paul kindly. Uh, Luke and Aristarchus, uh, who's a disciple from Thessalonica, they're, they're traveling with Paul. So Luke, again, being the author of Acts, this is why we're seeing uh, some of these pronoun changes from they to we, because Luke was there with Paul and with Aristarchus to uh behold these events uh for firsthand so we're, we're getting an historian writing to us from a from a first person uh perspective uh but they they uh, had been sailing for quite some time and uh there were storms that were f- far off and uh and uh they were uh, uh these um boats that they were in weren't meant to handle these longer sea uh voyages so when that happens there's the impetus to uh find land and find it 
find it fast. So uh, by the time of the day of the atonement on the Jewish calendar, as Luke records for us, it come and gone. Paul warns um, Julius, the, the centurion, that the uh, voyage was headed for disaster. Um, but um, they, uh, he's claiming some supernatural revelation from an angel and God giving him um, assurance that he was he and those with him would would survive this this treacherous journey aboard the the ship through the storms but uh, uh julius and then the other soldiers aboard the ship ignore ignore paul and they're they're over you know they're confident in the the, sh the ship to maintain itself the captain and the crew to to get them through the storm and uh, safely um through this island out of the, the uh, Mediterranean, near, known as Crete, and uh, that, that I think that pretty much gets us set up for where we're going to start and uh, start in the passage. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, uh, so here's what we're going to do: we are going to read Acts 27, 13 through 44, and then we're going to ask a few questions and think about it from a discipleship perspective. So, uh, starting at verse 13. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose, but they, weigh, uh, they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island, and since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called uh, Cotta, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, and many of, and for many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night, an angel of the, of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. It's necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe God um, that, will, that it will be just the way it was told to me. But we have to run aground on some island. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea. And about at about midnight, the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took soundings and found it to be 120 feet deep. And when they had sailed a little farther and sounded again, they found it to be 90. Then, fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from, from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and soldiers, "'Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved.' 
Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, This is the 14th day that you've been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. And after he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And after he broke it, he began to eat. They were all encouraged and took food for themselves. In all, all, there were 276 of us on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten, up, lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard in the, into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The, sh- the, the bow jammed fast and remained immovable. When the, while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves, the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape. But the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul, and so he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow, uh, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. So there's a lot here, uh, but what should what kind of questions should we be asking of this passage, Josh? One thing that uh, listeners and readers of the text uh, might uh, notice is how straightforwardly historical this is. And a lot of Acts is that way where Luke is just noting historical detail to show, to show that these are events that happen in real time and space uh, with, with real people. It, it highlights his legitimacy as, as an historian who's trying to um, record these events and present them in a in a fair and honest manner though he does have an agenda like all writers do not they're not like in a sinister way but he's trying to he has a goal and and getting a point across to the reader about why the things that he is writing about are important for them to know but we uh sometimes just need to recognize that the um, the account is historical and sometimes it is it is conveying uh, historical details that are important uh to to the to the narrative that aren't necessarily trying to make an explicitly theological point and it, it shouldn't surprise us when you're talking about a shipwreck that uh there's not a lot of overt uh doctrinal sort of teaching uh yeah. there uh, but nonetheless it, it's still uh, useful information to know and tracing God's faithfulness uh, to Paul, to his promises to oversee the Gospels going all the way to Rome through Paul's ministry. So you see uh, a theological purpose uh, behind this, but you are seeing historical uh, details. And and here we have a case in, in terms of genre of historical narrative. That's what the book of Acts is as a whole and then that's what this passage is in a in a, in a perhaps even more uh, obvious obvious way with the, the types of details um that that it that it provides so we don't necessarily want to look for a deeper meaning always in a in a historical narrative where we try to maybe allegorize certain elements of a of um 
of a, of a recording of, of certain events. Uh, but nonetheless, it does fit into an author, in this case, Luke's, uh, their overall uh, purpose for even, uh, for even telling the story. And we're seeing this fits into that structure that Luke alludes to early on about uh, be, being uh, the other parts of the earth through this treacherous, tumultuous, dramatic uh, voyage um, where they, they run aground at, uh, at Malta. And, and trying to oversee Paul's and other prisoners' um, journey to, um, or shipment, I guess you could say, um, to, to Rome. Another question that we should be asking is, is the one that really led off this episode, which is, was Paul being arrogant when he said in verse 21, you should have listened to me? And the answer there, of course, is no. Um, he, wasn't, he wasn't really saying, I told you so here in in this in in the sense of being haughty and blustery um i mean when he's saying you should have listened to me he's being serious you should have listened to me uh but it was but what we should take away from that is the reality that paul had a lot of credibility when it came to knowing what was up on the sea um, he knew what he was talking about when he warned them before because he he had had a lot more experience than they probably realized. I mean, think about Paul's missionary journeys. Um, yes, a lot of them would have would have happened by land, but the sea but traveling by sea was part of was part of how he was part of how he made his journeys. Um, we see in second Corinthians that he talks about having been shipwrecked more than once and that presume and and that if my memory is serving correctly was written before this event happened so um well it would have had to but um right, right. <laughs> but um but that's the that's the the thing to remember is is he's a pro at this he's been shipwrecked before he knows what it's like he he knows what to watch for from experience and so it would have been so it would have been wiser for the people to for the the crew especially to recognize that and for Julius who was showing him favor um, already um, to have maybe taken his warnings a little bit more seriously than he did rather than deferring to the captain and the crew of the ship. Right, that, that, that's a good point. It's something we see in other. Uh, areas in, in scripture other passages specifically in the in the old testament when uh even pagan people recognize how god is with someone that this person has some sort of wisdom and, and favor uh with them you see that with joseph in, in egypt when um the leaders there saw saw that he he gave wise counsel how had special insight you see it with daniel uh when he's in the babylonian uh, court that he had some sort of special favor and, and wisdom with him and so you would think with paul's reputation that might cause them to heed his advice uh, mm -hmm. a little bit more given what he has already survived and been delivered from uh just in just in you know recent years um as as they are they they're taking him all the way to to rome paul would have had a reputation in the in the roman guard uh, and so, but nonetheless, you know, just like we don't always, we don't always heed uh, wise counsel when it, when it comes to us. Uh, but I think that leads into our, our next question. We want to ask about the, 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 pa the passage is, is why did the crew start listening to Paul when they ignored him before? 
and we're, this is focusing more in uh, verses 21 through 38, so a big chunk of, of what we read. But what we can say about that is that in part, they would have seen uh, Paul's confidence in God through the journey to this point, as I was uh, I was just alluding to and how that's similar even to what we see happen with um, different uh, figures God's raised up throughout history and put them in a pagan context. But uh, why was Paul so confident that he and the crew would survive in this situation? Well, he received a word from an angel of God, which that doesn't usually happen to anybody. But mm -hmm. and this this is a special case scenario where the, the gospel is breaking into uh, certain parts of the world where it hadn't yet. So we're at a special stage in God's, uh, God's salvation plan and, and history uh, unfolding uh, with, with the gospel going forth. It doesn't mean that supernatural things don't happen as the gospel goes to different parts of the world today. But uh, nonetheless, Paul, as an apostle, had a special kind of authority. And here God gave him revelation through an angel that, yeah. hey, you guys are going to survive this journey, but there are still certain measures you need to take to ensure that it, that it happens. So he was told explicitly that he would survive because God had a purpose in getting him to Rome to preach Christ to, to Caesar. Um, and so ultimately, that's what was um, going to happen. But there were still measures that they, that the the crew, that the sailors, that the soldiers, and needed to take in order to ensure their their survivals, as we see as this uh, this narrative uh, play plays out. So, having seen that they didn't listen to Paul the first time, it would have been wise to have lis listened to him. They would have been humbled uh, to some degree. Uh, to see that Paul was right, and now the guy who survived so much, and now saying that an angel uh, from the God to whom he belonged, as, as he as he mentions, uh, had spoken to him, it might be good to heed his uh, counsel uh, this time. And then also, there's they're stuck out at sea. There's this continuing storm for several days, where it says, you know, the sun no nor stars appeared for the, the for days at a time. Uh, you're going to get desperate. You're going to look for any type of help that you, you can get. So that probably would have also humbled them enough to where they would uh, respect and heed what, what Paul had to, had to, had to say uh, during these uh, cir circumstances. So they, they probably complied out of just the, the, the desire to, to survive for the sake of yeah. self-preservation. So uh, some of the men uh, acted this way um, and, and wanting to, uh, pursue their own survival they attempted to uh, steal the skiff and they and, and they when they um, uh, feared that they were going to run against the, the rocks it even goes on to say that some men tried to uh, go ahead and escape the ship some of the sailors did uh, but as Paul Paul reminded them that, that all of them must stay aboard mm -hmm. in order for in order for the the whole uh, crew the whole company to to, to be saved but that, yeah. that gives you an idea why they would start listening to Paul while their attitude would have would have changed. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting too that it's that in that everyone is going to be everyone's going to survive. That that included that included prisoners who right. were there too. That it's like, no, if everyone is going to survive, everyone has to survive. And everyone has to be accounted for. So right. um so there is a there's a pretty powerful picture of 
of grace in these in these tiny details that we don't that we don't necessarily mm-hmm. notice at a first glance there too that it's like these guys who are just only appear in a throw what seems like a throwaway line at the end of the chapter um that 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 that's there and that happens and that leads to uh this next question too which is which is how do we see god's promises proven true in this and so thinking about verses 39 through 44 i mean no one died that's the big thing like that's the thing we get to the end of this and we see no one died and the ship ran aground um you think about verses 22 through 26 again listen to this now i urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives but only of the ship For last night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. It's necessary for you to appear before Christ. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So again, that includes those prisoners. So take courage, men, because I believe God, uh, I believe God that it will be just the way I was told, or it was told to me, but I have, but we have to run aground on some island. So, in this, it's it's tempting to see this as um, fatalistic at times, mm-hmm. that because God has said that it's going to be so, that it's going to be so. And while that's certainly true, rem- li- you, you have to go back and you have to think about the way that. Paul talked about this. He said, it's necessary for us to do these things. We have to run the ship aground throughout the narrative. We have to stay together. We cannot lose anybody on this ship. If we do, we all die. And so they all had to make these choices and they had to say, okay, this is what Paul's God said. Do we believe it? Or do we hedge our bets and we try for ourselves? At every moment, this is occurring. And what you see is is that even when the when the sailors fall short of it, Julius the Centurion doesn't. He's like, no, I'm I'm sticking with this Paul guy here, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to do what he says, and you guys are going to do what he says, whether you like it or not. And um, and he does this, um, and so. Uh, one of the other little things that we see in here that is just a, a little thing that that we have to notice and it's so easy to miss is verse 38 when we see these pr- the this this proof of God uh, God's promise being true um, uh, really from 33 forward when Paul urges him to take uh, urges everyone to eat it's been 14 days. And so he gives thanks, he breaks the bread, he begins to eat, they all begin to eat. As we get into 36, 37, and 38, um, we're seeing that 276 people on that ship are eating, and it says in 38, when they had all eaten enough. So the fact that, like, what is going on there? Because you're talking about you're talking about a fairly lengthy amount of time if they're rationing their food pretty heavily, uh, presumably at that point, um, there there would not have been a ton to go around. Is it possible that we're seeing seeing just an extra measure of God's grace in a low key in a low key miracle here, 
where where bread is multiplied again. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I think we can't ignore how intentional Luke's language is there about breaking bread and giving thanks. I mean, that matches really well with what Jesus did when he broke bread, um, both in feeding the the, the 5,000, the 4,000, and then also breaking the bread at the, the last supper. Yep. So there, there is meant to be a uh, parallel uh, there. Uh, I don't think anybody could, could deny that. So yeah, it is interesting why Luke would note that and then how it contributed to the survival of, of those uh, on board. So yeah, definitely that's something to, to consider. We're not, we're nonetheless seeing the supernatural preservation of mm-hmm. all the people aboard, especially Paul. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- that, that's an interesting thing to observe in order to see, in order to account for the means uh, by yeah. which God preserve them and and if it was miraculous in fact yeah but yeah they're very interesting yeah and so i mean obviously not something that you need to hang your hat on or make a uh make a a massive um massive point about if you're as you're talking about right. this passage with someone but still just an interesting interesting uh-huh. point so um speaking of uh talking through this passage with others um you know, one of the key things that we do as disciple makers is, is we disciple other people. So whether we're talking about kids, we're talking about teenagers, we're talking about other adults um, in large groups, in small groups, in one-on-one settings, um, around the dinner table, what are, so, what are some little bits of guidance that we can offer our listeners in working through this passage with someone else? Well, this passage highlights how human we all are, to, to use that adjective. Uh, when we are in distressing situations. So it's normal for people to feel hopeless when they're in difficult situations like this. And so there's there's a realism in, in Luke's account. And mm-hmm. when people are facing uh, hard, stressful circumstances, like you know, not knowing if they're going to survive in a ship that's in a storm at sea, um, we don't want to minimize this, this, this distress this this hopeless uh, these hopeless emotions that they might have in the in the situation and uh, we don't want to over spiritualize it and try to in be dis- dismissive and uh, of of their feeling this this way it's natural to feel that way uh, when in dire circumstances uh, and so from a, from a Christian perspective we're wanting to promote gospel culture when when one suffers we all uh, we all empathize we all want to uh, participate with them in that that suffering. Uh, if, if one suffers, we all suffer, so to speak. We want to, as Paul instructs, and I believe it's Romans 14, to weep with those who weep and mourn with those uh, who mourn. That, that's, a, that's a way of life. That's not just a trite, cliche thing to say, but that means we're trying to show true empathy and compassion to those who, who are suffering and, and, and feel distress. So we shouldn't look at this report that Luke gives us of how God preserved Paul and the people aboard the ship and think like, well, it's all going to work out in the end by God's will and, and God's plan. But no, we need to, we need to recognize and affirm when people do feel distressed and distraught in, 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 in stressful situations. Yeah. Yeah, another um, another thing that that connects to that is that we also need to point people to the promises of God in the midst of suffering and trials and difficulties. So, um, even as we are present with 
others in these moments and truly present as as you described josh um we need to remind both ourselves and others in a very genuine way of of the promises of god that he doesn't promise us a carefree life but he does promise to be with us in every circumstances stance until the end of the age jesus Mm -hmm. said um before he ascended to heaven um, so that means that G- that God is with us right now in our pain and in our trials, and he's with us in our rejoicing as well. And so he, because he has promised this and he has promised that we will, that all that we experience has a purpose, um, that all things are working together for the good of those who love God according to his purposes. And that's explicitly what we see with Paul's experience here, and we can expect to see that in our own lives as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. And it can seem really uh, basic and obvious to us at times, but it's something that we are so prone to forget just in the, the mundane, everyday uh, events of life that, that God is with us. And then we can, for, we can forget about it in the urgency of the moment when it comes to facing trials or life-altering uh, events, how that this does uh, factor into to God's plan and God's with us, even when we don't feel like it. And that's what's especially good news for us who are in Christ, that God's with us, even when we don't feel like he's with us. It doesn't depend on our feelings, it doesn't depend on our efforts, our performance, uh, how our uh, devotional life is going uh, in, in a certain season. That might be a way to help us be more aware and sensitive to God's presence, presence and, and, and keep perspective. That's the means of grace that God has instituted us and in, in giving us his word and uh, instructing us to pray and to, to be around God's people to, to encourage us. Uh, but nonetheless, um, God is ever present with us in Christ, just as he promised to no matter to be, no matter how uh, terrible our circumstances might seem. And that's why, we need to always be uh, uh, reminding ourselves of how we've seen God at work in our own lives, and that that would bring that that would be our uh, third sort of sort of takeaway uh, from the passage. We need to recognize that, that God is always working. You know, I've heard people say that you know God's always doing a million things in your life. You might be aware of six of them, <laughs> something like that. Uh, and that that that's so true. We don't know all that God's up to, and we don't know how how all the things that he's accomplishing are entangled in all these different relationships and circumstances that sometimes might seem inconsequential, but God is nonetheless faithful and active in, in our lives. And so one of the best ways we can take stock of, of how God's at work in our lives and how he's been faithful is just take some measures, uh, some practical measures to, to keep track of God's working our lives. How has he been faithful? How has he answered prayer? How have decisions uh, that you have made in the past, how has he proven faithful in light of those those decisions and see where you are now, or even when you might've made some uh, less than wise decisions, how he's gotten you to where you are at this point. There's not going to be any point in your life if you're understanding things from a biblical perspective where you can say, God uh, ne- neglected some prom- promise that he that, that he didn't hold true to one of his promises given in his in his word. So this this is where we have to take a, a long view of our lives and a long view of history. But remember that God in the short term though is always in 
and, and he's always working in our lives. Um, he's working to change us, to mold us into Christ's image, but he's also using us to affect other people uh, for the sake of his kingdom. And so we, we uh, rather than assuming that we're always going to see miraculous events, that we're going to have angels speaking to us like, like uh, Paul did, we, we nonetheless need to, with uh, living by faith, by, uh, not by sight, with the eyes of faith look on our lives with 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 gospel uh lenses to see how god has saved us how he is saving us and how he will save us and the one who began a good work in us will continue it until the until the last day uh of, of christ of, of christ jesus so definitely is a a long a long view of history and our, in our lives to uh, take this perspective it's not always it's not always natural in the, in the, in the ever present urgency of the, of the, of the here and now, but nonetheless, we can be confident that God is working because he's promised that he's working. He's told us that he, that he's, that he's doing so. Yeah, man, that is a, a great word to end on. So uh, thank you for chatting about this passage, Josh, and thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.